Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies. Held on Fridays in May, each film touches upon Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Goya or the Hard Way to Enlightenment and the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie at NortonSimon.org. You have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from Alleist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes, too, when you donate now at laist.com slash sweeps. LAist Studios. This episode of How to LA contains explicit language. Please be advised. All's my life I has to fight, nigga. All's my life I hard times like yeah. Hey, beautiful people. You're listening to one of my favorite songs from Kendrick Lamar, or Pulitzer Kenny as some people call him. He's an L.A. legend, and this is How to L.A., so we had to bump this one for y'all. I'm Brian De Los Santos. We're back with another episode in honor of the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. As we all know by now, its roots are in New York, but when it arrived on the West Coast a few years later, L.A. made hip-hop its own. Our last episode explored its origins here with Alonzo Williams, the godfather of West Coast hip-hop. Check out our musical exploration with Lonzo. It's pretty dope. Now, today, we're going to hear from one of my favorite L.A.-based speakers, Terry Void-Pates. He's a historian and an expert on Black culture from the Millennial Vantage Point. His day job is curator of Western history at the Autry Museum of the American West. And honestly, he's just all kinds of cool and has so much knowledge about this subject. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into the impact and evolution of West Coast hip-hop, its roots in Black America, and its spread to global pop domination. So let's get things started where how you were introduced to hip-hop. You grew up here in L.A. Tell me <laughs> about the beginnings of Baby Tyree and how he heard hip-hop, you know, and what was that like? My love for hip-hop started in the early 1990s, where my family and I lived in Koreatown, in fact, in the afterlife of the L.A. uprisings. And I can recall in the apartment that we all shared and in the room that I shared collectively with my uncle, Quasi Bolden, that he and all of his tapes of A Tribe Called Quest and East Coast Boom Bap Rap started to seep through my ears and I became especially attracted to this art form. The attraction wasn't just because of what I was hearing through our speakers, but it was actually because of his own exploration of the genre of hip hop as a graffiti artist and as a rapper and seeing him burgeoning and, you know, emoting as a young man gave me kind of like a template that I would end up following as we shared notes about some of the greatest rappers from the 90s into the 2000s. It's something that I think he gave me that became an inheritance almost, like a family inheritance, because I realized that 
how I learned about black history was because of my mapping and charting of all of the great rappers of yesteryear and their influences afterward. There's a lot to unpack here about the importance of black history when it comes to hip hop. And we're going to get into that just a second. But I do want to ask you, what was the song you kept replaying once you had a cassette player or was it a CD player? (laughs) You know, that era kind of blurs for me. So what was that one, you know, mixtape or album that you kept playing? That was like that was my defining hip hop moment for me. You know what? I'm actually going to attribute it to the Wayne's Brothers show. Maybe after their first or second season, they actually swapped their intro with A Tribe Called Quest's Electric Relaxation Instrumental. And it was that song in syndication that I was like, oh my gosh, like, what is this music? <laughs> and, if, and, and of course I already knew who Tribe was, but like the fact that I got to see, uh, you know, two amazing black male actors on on, on television um, who were also bopping their heads to what I was listening to in my bedroom kind of like validated what me and my uncle were doing um, at our home here in L.A. I love that. And tell me, what do you know as you've researched this genre? You are part of the community itself and, and speaking with experts, interviewing them yourself as a historian. What do you know that kicked off this particularly West Coast sound? Hip hop, especially in the West Coast, truth be told, is rooted in revolution. West Coast hip hop has connections directly to like 1965's Watch Rebellion and how the last poets used their voices and their words accompanied with sound and really to kind of serve as a, like a clarion call to the black condition, particularly here in South Los Angeles. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is attorney Donald Warden bringing you another in a series of radio broadcasts entitled The Afro-American Association Presents we care enough to tell it just like it is. As you can probably hear... And you know, naturally, through the avenues of poetry or disco and rap and hip-hop and funk in the 1970s, it was an opportunity for Black people to speak truth to power, but with a beat. You're going to hear an analysis of Los Angeles that CBS and NBC won't tell you, won't give you. You're going to hear an analysis and a description of the problem that you can't see on television. And you can't read in the newspaper. And the news service is afraid to have the public aware of the real facts. Los Angeles, it's not a riot, it's a war. I think what the West Coast took hold of, especially from the descendants of the Great Migration who came to the city of L.A., it gave the whole world, uh, especially through gangster rap in the 1990s, a journalistic view of what it meant to be Black in L.A. And you had movies like Boys in the Hood that paralleled that same experience and featured Ice Cube. Since then, the genre and the contributions that Black Angelinos have made to uh, the tradition as a whole speaks to that radical emergence, but particularly an entry into the larger chapter and book of what it means to be Black in America. You think about the historical ramifications of what the war on drugs did to the Black community here in South LA. And you think about all of the men who were siphoned into mass incarceration and ended up having to identify with the insides of prison walls. You think about the consequences of that and you think about how that can 
steal an entire generation's voices because of those policies. But those policies could only keep a certain cohort of the Black community down during the Reagan administration. And as an effort to speak truth to power, Black Angelinos, particularly from Compton, <laughs> you know, uh, through the voices of Ice Cube and Dr. Dre and DJ Yella and Easy e they came out of the gate and said, you know what? These are our voices. These are our issues in the inner city. And if you won't listen to us, then we're going to take the microphone and make sure you know that we got attitude. And the world has never been the same since. <laughs> I would love for you to paint a picture of the L.A. landscape. You know, let's talk about Lamar Park. Let's talk about Central Avenue. These communities that really impacted the hip hop sound. Can you just paint us that picture of how L.A. had this influence of sound? So you you have to take it all the way back down to the second wave of the Great Migration. And for those who don't know what the Great Migration was, it was a period between 1910 to 1970 where nearly six million refugees who are descendants of chattel slavery fled the South to find new opportunities in the North and ultimately in the West. A lot of folks left the South in areas like Texas and New Orleans to come to South Central and literally off Central Avenue, which was a prominent like epicenter and mecca for Black life. And it was a major thoroughfare that not only had Black entrepreneurship at the forefront, but Black music. And that Black music had jazz and, and all of the greats descended on Central Avenue um, during its heyday. But as the Black community, particularly after the civil rights movement, tried to find footing in the city of L.A. and with the election of Tom Bradley in the 1970s, the Black community was still kind of wrestling with what is its identity underneath an experience that still was rife with police brutality that mirrored the Watts Rebellion and several of their experiences on a regular basis. And so as Black communities found themselves rooted in the city, particularly in the Crenshaw District, they found themselves rooted in Lamert Park. And Lamert Park has remained a staple of Black excellence, but particularly of, of Black arts renaissances, um, whether it's the Chaos Network and how in the 1990s, Lamert Parks was a major hub for Black youth who wanted to rap and to DJ and to do graffiti and breakdancing and wanted to battle one another, whether it was Freestyle Fellowship, The Good Life, you know, Project Blowed, these spaces remained as counter spaces to larger mainstream areas of LA that weren't always so accommodating to Black youth. And that's why they remain a staple to this day for Black artistic expression. You recently made a comment about there are five points of hip hop. And to me, it just kind of like opened the, my third eye uh, uh, upon this genre <laughs> where it was just like sounded so impactful because it's so true. Yeah. Can you guide us through those five points of hip hop? The five elements of hip hop by definition is is number one, MCing, two, DJing, three, breakdancing, four, graffiti, and then fifth is knowledge. And all five of those elements serve as the cornerstones of what this culture is all about. Whether it's from its infancy to its present day, all five of those elements are being incorporated, especially internationally as communities, whether it's from Japan or Sweden, are even 
using the early days of hip hop and these five elements to serve as a template for their own renaissances using the modes of hip hop to express themselves. And I think that's really phenomenal. And to have all of that start in the Bronx <laughs> and then have roots in the West Coast and then to have a Pulitzer Prize winner like Kendrick Lamar championing the genre and then it going to the four corners of the entire globe speaks to the pervasiveness of a genre that really in the beginning no one ever expected for it to last that long and for it to have a 50th anniversary and still incorporate all five of these elements at its core is um, something that continues to excite me and makes me want to uh, give more context historically for those who may not know. More on the history of West Coast hip hop after a quick break. Support for LAist comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies, held on select Fridays in May. Each film touches upon Spanish artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Goya or The Hard Way to Enlightenment by Conrad Wolf and The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie by Luis Bunuel. Screenings are at 4.30 p.m. on consecutive Fridays, now through May 31st. More information at nortonsimon.org. Support for LAist comes from Pasadena Playhouse, presenting Jelly's Last Jam. When Jelly Will Morton's soul is forced to face the music, the self-proclaimed inventor of jazz is left at the ultimate crossroads. This lively musical follows the journey from the back alleys of New Orleans to the sparkling stages of New York, featuring a sizzling bandstand, electrifying tap dancing, and soulful tunes. On stage for four weeks only, Jelly's Last Jam. Performances begin May 29th. Tickets available now at PasadenaPlayhouse.org. We're back with How to LA. I'm Brian De Los Santos, and we're talking about the evolution of West Coast hip hop. So the last time we spoke, you told me about the influence of Soul Train and hip hop artists here in LA. I remember watching that as a kid and trying to study the dance moves, but wasn't successful. <laughs> Tell me more about the impact of that show and the music that was made here in LA. Shout out to Don Cornelius, the founder of Soul Train, who started the show being inspired in Chicago and him bringing the, the variety show to Los Angeles's uh, studios in Hollywood really made an opportunity for not only Black artists to get their music out, but for a presentation of Black dance and expression that the world had really never seen. And because the show was syndicated, you had Soul Train dancers from across decades who were able to not only dance their way into the hearts of Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder and James Brown, some of those names are actually taking cues from some of their dancers and incorporating some of their moves into their choreography and music videos. Mm -hmm. And all of that was happening in LA. And it's really profound because if you sit down with Soul Train programming across the decades, you can actually really see the arc of Black expression nationally, but then you also can start to see the ways in which the reverberations of that Black dance expression and music still is felt to this very day. And I 
uh, am proud to say that, uh, you know, Don Cornelius brought dancers from South Los Angeles to come every single Saturday and shoot those episodes. And they'll tell you um, how their lives were never the same after being on the show. One of my favorite clips on YouTube is the Soul Train line from the early 1970s where the Soul Train dancers are going down the line listening to Jungle Boogie. And this is so amazing because not only can you see on their faces that they love this jam, you can also tell like that the club influences that they know on the Saturday night was bleeding onto this show and vice versa. And the power of like dance and expression is one that uh, black people just naturally hold. And as soon as you put down one of their favorite cuts, you know, it's it's going down, especially the Jungle Boogie. <laughs> <laughs> Now, when we talk about hip hop, we gotta talk about gangster rap. A lot of sources cite LA as ground zero for gangster rap. Is that true? What do you think? I would definitely say that the major imprint of gangster rap is felt on the West Coast. And, and I think that the music industry changed uh, dramatically after Dr. Dre dropped the chronic. <laughs> That was the presence or really a, a, a part of the apex of what he had contributed to the NWA. The music industry was never the same and gangster rap would usher in Death Row Records, Snoop Doggy Dogg, and naturally Tupac Shakur from whom took it to heights that the world had never seen before. And all of that had direct ties to LA's culture at large especially black culture. Is that when like the East Coast, West Coast beef started happening as well? Because there's just so much commotion and, and you know, between gangs. I'm not sure. What happened there? Yeah, yeah you know, that's, this is a really amazing question because a lot of those figures who were around during the East Coast and West Coast rivalry really found themselves conflicted between musical artists between the East Coast and the West Coast. But a lot of them also attribute that a lot of the pitting of the East Coast and the West Coast didn't actually truly start with between rappers like Tupac and Shakur, but a lot of them felt and still feel that it was drummed up with magazines um, mm. and, and journalism that sought to sell publications and sought to pit these two, you know, dynasties, you know, Bad Boy Records and Death Row Records against one another and kind of add fuel to the fire in a way that, you know, both sides, if you ask the, the veterans, never truly intended to see and or they were kind of surprised hmm. that it got to the heights that it did, especially as fatal as it became in, in light of uh, Tupac and Biggie. But nonetheless, that rivalry existed and is definitely one of the uh, seminal chapters within the tradition. And sadly, it ended up making two of the most important MCs that the genre has ever seen um, no longer to be here to appreciate its 50th. And I do want to bring up the women in the industry because we hear a lot about the dudes. We had Queen Latifah and we had Lil' Kim, Foxy. 
you know, women that were very important to the genre, but I don't think they are giving their, their roses as much as they should. You know, what happened to female artists when they started getting into the mix and started recording and stuff? You know, you you don't have hip hop without black women. And you, you have to have this conversation of like the Roxanne Shantae's and the MC Lights and the JJ Fads and the Queen Latifah's and the many other nameless women who were erased because of, you know, misogyny. It's, it's a sad thing to see that many of those stories are not being excavated until as of late. But fortunately, the pioneers like the Little Kims and the Missy Elliotts, who is getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, mm -hmm. like these women and their contributions are felt. And it's not lost on me that they are the same pioneers who end up inspiring the Meg Thee Stallions and the Cardi B's and the Nicki Minaj's and the um, Ice Spices and the, the Glorillas. Like these pioneers will tell you mm. that they themselves are so happy for their impact. And it's not lost on me that women, Black women especially, are dominating the genre in a really strong and powerful way today. Classic shit. I'm looking for a nigga to give some babies A handful of Wheezy, sprinkle of Davies Man, I ain't got no type like Jimmy and Sway Lee But if he can't fuck three times a night Peace, I tried to fuck 54 I want to turn the page to the now And where we're at, what you're seeing And what you might be seeing We've had big names come out of LA in recent years Kendrick, of course, Nipsey, R.I.P Inglewood Sir is someone who I'm seeing everywhere so let's kind of talk about the past decade. You know, what is the West Coast sound now? You know, could you pinpoint that sort of? I think with the success of the Kendrick Lamars, but also the continuous solidarity of the future pioneers like the Inglewood Sirs and the D Smokes and the Tyler the Creators mm -hmm. and the Internets. And you know, you can actually see the diversification of the artists who are coming through. And we're now seeing not only are they more unapologetic, but they're actually reclaiming aspects of Los Angeles that tend to be put on the periphery. Because at a period of time, you know, L.A. was only seen as the mecca of gangster rap and mm -hmm. hardcore music. But now you see West Coast rappers, um, you know, skateboarding. Yeah. <laughs> and you see them you see them doing things that are tend to be seen as atypical of what black rappers do in South Central Los Angeles. And then don't even get me started on like the underground hip hop scene. Oh, let's get started. Give me give me some, you know, give me some knowledge here. There's, there's so much to explore, and um, I don't want to name too many because then I'll get, <laughs> I'll get in trouble. But I will tell the listeners that listening to the underground hip-hop um, that is still so L.A., that is coming out of uh, Lamert Park especially, there's still a lot to discover. And with the internet, West Coast rappers are seeing um, heights that they never truly anticipated. And you have to also pay homage to those who have recently been slain or were we're saying in the last several years, like Nipsey Hussle and his impact um, on the Crenshaw district and how Slauson, because of his influence, hasn't been the same because of his entrepreneurial gifts and foresights. And so West Coast hip hop is here to stay. I 
I want to ask this, like, what's next? You know, hip-hop is not just a genre. It is a cultural movement across the globe. We hear it in reggaeton artists uh, sample hip-hop songs to make reggaeton. You know, there's Japanese hip-hop as well. Where do you feel this cultural movement is going? I think hip-hop is going where Black people are going. Hip-hop as a tool is used to forecast opportunities and really a manifestation of a future in which they are the center of their own experience and not sheerly on the periphery. And I think wherever the genre is going and is dictated by the culture and the community from which it comes from, I think it's one that's going to have forward momentum and a brighter future that centers the Black experiences from which it came from. I'm attractive, keep fuck with you no more, I'm fasting, uh, theme of rally, you can wait, feedback on low latency, I'm gonna get you from the face, Tyree, thank you so much for joining me today, no, thank you for having me, why you lying on Benjamin, he turning in his grave, I be lying if I said I wouldn't get a shit away, the aloof Buddha, I'm Christ for the shooter, praise to Muhammad, that was Tyree Void-Pates, history creator, professor, writer, and speaker on black culture, if you want more on Tyree and want to learn real black history, check out the school he founded, Freedom School Online. We'll have a link in our show notes. This episode was produced by Megan Botel. Our other producers are Monica Bushman, Evan Jacoby, and Victoria Alejandro. So that pretty much wraps up our coverage on the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. We also wrote about all things hip-hop, its origins, evolution, and cultural influences. Check it out today on LAist.com. Now, this is totally different and an aside, but we need some help from you. We want to know how this podcast or our newsletter has helped you connect with LA. Maybe we pointed you to a new hike or restaurant. Maybe we helped you understand city politics a little bit more or the history of one of LA's many dynamic neighborhoods. Let us know the way How to LA has affected your life. We got a link to a survey in our show notes or send us a voice memo to howtola at scpr.org. We appreciate the help and thank you so much. Bye. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. Keep the balance, I'm staying strong. Stop playing with me for a turn to a song. Stop playing with me for a turn to a song. Hey, bitch, I'm attractive. Can't fuck with you no more. I'm fasting. Bitch, I'm attractive. Can't fuck with you no more. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.